Hey, everybody. Welcome back after uh, a long weekend for some, not all of us. It is going to be a short week for us, but a big week here on This yeah. Week in Startups. Big. It's a lot of news going on and some crazy news in crypto. So we brought on our good friend, Vinny Lingham, who will be on in a moment. He was uh, an early Solana investor, early Bitcoin investor, and he runs Civic, a startup that encrypts uh, identity information on the blockchain famously. And he's going to talk to us about it all. Yeah, we're all. And there is a lot of it. We're gonna. He's actually coming to us live from NFT NYC, which sounds like a bit of a, a fiasco itself. We will also talk about this, the fiasco on the Solana DeFi app called Solend, and then how somehow through all of this chaos, a Solana NFT marketplace called Magic Eden still managed to raise one hundred thirty million dollars at a one point six billion dollar valuation. Why not? And and there's some news that uh, a whale has had their account frozen. They can't liquidate it on Solana. I want to hear about that. And don't forget about our good friend Do Kwan, who was on uh, the pod uh, last year. Uh, South Korean prosecutors, I kid you not, have instituted a flight ban for employees while they investigate the $40 billion Terra collapse. So we're going to dig in on that as well. Yeah, there's a lot going on. It's going to be a great conversation. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Notion. Notion is one place for notes, docs, projects, and everyday work that goes way beyond a wiki. Go to notion.so and use promo code twist to get $250 off an annual team plan and open phone as a startup founder a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back but using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them open phone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team right on top of your existing devices visit openphone.com twist to get 20 percent off your first six months all right, Molly, you had a good weekend, I take it. Here's our weekend yeah. banter. We always do a little weekend banter. Our weekend banter, I know. It was banter. lovely. We had some good Juneteenth conversations around mm. the house. Oh, had a nice great. Father's Day. Mm. Um, went to a concert. It was great. Oh, yes. You went to the Indigo Girls. Yeah, I saw. They actually surprise opened for Brandy Carlisle. I was going to see oh Brandy Carlisle at the Greek I in Berkeley. I love Brandy Carlisle. I love, I mean, her voice is just amazing, magical. And the Indigo Girls happened to be opening for her as sort of like a bit of a surprise and she sang with them and like look as a woman of a certain age yes. my high school and college experience flooded right back there were tears it was absolutely the earnestness level was infinity at this concert mm. which is not my normal thing but i don't care i loved it it was wonderful i you know i, I when i was in college i loved the indigo girls because they had done a cover of a dire straight song romeo and juliet and which I so then listened to after you told me that and yes. it's amazing it's like, I think it's their best song. I mean, no offense, uh, you know, uh, whatever that song is. I went to see the Doctor of Philosophy, whatever that song is. Uh, oh, yeah, is like closer, most, closer to closer Fine. To, closer yeah. to Fine is their big one. Um, but I didn't know that they had a, a certain, uh, you know, audience. And I invited a girl on a date to see Indigo Girls because I was so into them. And she was very confused. But we went and I was the only guy there. I mean, yeah. it's, they're very popular amongst there the ladies more than at I least in the thought. 90s there were yeah. more men than I would have thought at this event oh that's great I, I mean yeah 
In fact, my ex-husband and his wife were also there. Like we had all bought tickets to this and didn't Aww. know because we were all big Brandy Carlisle fans. And mm. and and so Jason and I are texting during this concert, and I'm basically like, "Oh, so we're having almost the same night." Almost the I'm same night. This. Well, this is a funny story. I was okay. You know, I hate to name drop, but I'm friends with you know I'm good friends with Draymond Green of the Warriors, yeah. and my friend Chamath, um, you know, owned a piece of the team, so I got to know everybody. Uh, and I'm friendly. And Molly and I went to game two. Steph said hi to me. It was, it's always very nice, like to uh, see the Warriors. And you know, people always ask me, like, aren't you a Nick fan? I'm, yes, I'm diehard Nick fan. But I have adopted the Warriors as my team also because I'm here and they play a style of basketball I love. And the Knicks are, you know, never going to win a playoff game again in my lifetime until I buy them. So, <laughs> just, you know, at least it lets me go to some playoff just opportunistic. <laughs> so there was a little, and the, I'm not speaking out of turn here because it was all over social media. But you know, as teams do they have a little celebration after winning a championship i was lucky enough to go with my friend david lee and andrew bogut uh to the first couple of wins uh and shamath uh when they celebrated in las vegas so three of the four years they celebrate in vegas and three of those three years i won <laughs> so yes on saturday night i went to vegas with the team and uh you know we we hit a couple of uh nightlife spots and we're having dinner and as fate would have it you know the team and i sat down and who's sitting directly next to me, but Molly's favorite player. So it's 1145. And I say, Molly, FaceTime me if you have a moment. And I've never asked Molly to FaceTime me. So I was like, well, this could weird. be a weird request on yep. Saturday night at 1145. <laughs> like, hey, just randomly FaceTime me. I don't know if and you of think of course, I'm because I'm the weirdo that I'm, I'm like, is he okay? Is he okay? Yes. <laughs> just an idiot. <laughs> just an idiot. So I happen to be sitting next to Molly's favorite player, Clay Thompson. My favorite. And I was talking to Clay and um, we have a nice conversation. I said, you know, my friend is like, uh, you know, a huge fan. She literally got COVID for you. She went to your, <laughs> she got tickets for your comeback game. She cried. She's like, oh, well, tell her everything. I, I was cry. like, well, maybe you could tell her yourself. Uh, you know, would you mind if I had her FaceTime? And she goes, no, of course, Jake, out, whatever you want. So sure enough, Molly FaceTimes me. I hand the phone FaceTime. to Clay. He goes, and then Molly Aww. can take the story from there. He just pans <laughs> over. And I am in the car. Yeah. In the middle of the, in, you know, like having just dropped off my sister-in-law, like trying to find the lights and new yes. car. I don't know how the light comes on. Yeah. And then he pans over and it takes me a second to even recognize that it's Clay Thompson. Like, I'm yeah. just like, oh. oh, and just being the awkward dumb dumb that I am. I'm like, <laughs> you're a little awkward at times. Yeah. So charming. Awkward. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, not at all. Like, thank God for me. Clay is not going to remember any of no. this interaction <laughs> because I, no, like, nor do I No I chance. barely remember. Like, he w I was just like congratulations you're so great i got COVID at your first game back but i'm not mad because weirdo like who yes. says that yes no it was it was always with the celebrity Whatever. you say stuff your brain when you see a celebrity especially when you love your brain starts going at like variable speed and the words start skipping it yeah. happened it's happened to me it happens Just to everybody so my face was but all red was, like it was all flesh but the good news for me again is that clay was not even making words right clay was yeah. like uh, it was yeah. sort of blowing kisses like yeah, I feel you and I was like this is the best he he loved it he loved it he was this like, is really, the best, um, was yeah, the best. He, was, he was really into it so anyway congratulations my worst friends so I had like maybe 16 hours in Vegas flew back the next morning because <laughs> listen we all have kids we all had to get back for father or stay I would say a, a decent number of the players and I so a group of us came back you know so it was like one of those you know, late nights, but I, I met also um, a uh, soccer player. Uh, so I, I'm uh, at the table and my friend's like, I want you to meet my friend. He, uh, he's an athlete or whatever. And I, oh, hey, how you doing? I'm Jason. So, oh, hey, my name's Neymar. I said, oh, okay, well, what do you do? You did not. 
Yeah, and he's I play I play soccer. I was like, oh, <gasps> professionally. He's like, yeah. I was like, oh, are you any good? And how's that working out for you? He's like, it's it's going okay. And then my friend's like, it's going okay. The number two player in the world. And, you know, he's like a big deal. I was like, okay. So then we just me oh and Neymar, Draymond are dancing at the club. <laughs> celebrating. You didn't even ask fun. him about his CSGO inventory. I this was no your idea. big chance. I don't even know what you're talking about. Speaking. I know. This is what, I mean, the awkward nerd alert. Yes. Again. Anyway. He's, he's, I guess he's into crypto himself as well. So yeah. anyway, shout out to yeah. Neymar and all the other famous people who I really don't that. know. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, speaking it's about things best, really. that are confusing, um, my Lord, I don't know what's going on in crypto except to say um, <laughs> that a lot is happening. Lot. And just like there's a lot happening in growth stocks and the economy and the world writ large. So bringing, uh, I'm going to bring on my good friend, Vinny Lingham, who is an expert in this field. Hey, Vinny, how are you? Jason, Molly, great to see you guys. Vinny, thanks for your patience. I just want you to know, uh, in in ongoing awkward comments, I bought three hundred dollars of Solana after we talked mm. after the All In Summit. Great. So either uh, you owe me three hundred dollars, <laughs> or this is going to go great. Yeah, I would uh, stay. I am the, the whale. Everybody, <laughs> I'm the whale. <laughs> I owe you dinner. <laughs> you owe you dinner. There it goes. Uh, all right. So um, just to give some background on Vinny, you know, 10 years ago when we were all talking about crypto, he had jumped full in. I uh, did Civic and uh, invested in many projects. And I think you were the, you're a partner at, um, or somehow related to. Yeah, um, I, was, I joined as a GP at Multicoin in 2017 when Colin Tushar started up. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that's a, been a fun run as well. <laughs> that's a firm that had maybe 10 million dollars for their first fund invested in solana or oh, something to yeah, that when, when, I, when i joined there was like five and then i brought in sex uh ah. into the fund and we, we set up the opportunities fund which is the probably the best venture capital fund of all time um yeah and then that was early 2018 so i mean you know obviously then 10 million to work i understood at the peak it was, it was 20 it was 20 it was th so that fund the hedge fund was like five or ten initially Got and it. then we set, set up the venture fund for i think it was 20 total uh, mm. and, uh, and craft anchored that fund for us. Um, right. and yeah, how did that know, wind up at the peak on a multiple of cash? I, I, I don't know. At the peak, I think it's like 150, 200 times returns on a fund, which is, wow. which is crazy. Yeah, um, 4 billion not, or something. Yeah. Three, yeah four billion. It's, it's still, it's still pretty big right now. It's still like uh, in, in the tens. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And you know, listen, uh, crypto has had these incredibly volatile moments. I want to unpack it with you. Uh, I think the yeah. place to start is you're at NFT New York. Mm -hmm. People on Twitter are saying like, I'm not going to do my, so somebody said, I'm not going to do my speaking gig. This thing is so terrible. It's a, the fire festival. W what exactly is everybody complaining about there? And, and what I, is I, NFT I, I wouldn't, Fest? I wouldn't, call, I wouldn't call it the fire festival. That's a little extreme. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, you, you just ran the All In Summit. You know, it's, 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 it's hard doing a, a conference. Yep. And that was a thousand people. I think, you, you know, it was executed really well. Um, but when these guys are trying to put, I think it's twenty thousand people a year. Mm. Um, the, the the venue selection is is terrible. It's the merit marquee. I don't think you can handle that many people. The mm. lines are around. Your, the lines go down multiple floors <laughs> mm. to get to get your your pass. The the mm. pass security is terrible. I mean, like if I look at my pass here somewhere, it's it's literally just a printout. There's no security stickers. I can go and photocopy ah. it and give you. You know, there'll be twenty venues walking around. Uh, you just have the lanyard. Um, so the lines are super long. Um, the, you know, and when, and when you go into the venues, the speakers aren't even there. I was in a session this morning, two speakers are not there. Presumably they're stuck in line trying to get a pass to get in. Uh, um, there's no, there's no, there's no VIP pass, the, the line. Like I've been to Money 2020 many times in Vegas and mm. 
it's like 30, 40, 50,000 people or whatever. And it's that's an incredible run. show. Like that is at, an incredible at show. At scale, you can't run conferences like this at scale. You just can't do it in Marriott Marquis Times Square. <laughs> and then, it, and then well, the it also sounds like, you, like they don't know how to run registry. I mean, comparing to all in summit, we had, uh, yeah. you know, tickets with your photo on them, custom printed yeah. for you, you exactly. with the exactly. QR code on it. Like this is like just a exactly. modest amount of additional work. Um, and you have security. Yeah, exactly. For, for a sophisticated NFT thing, like show, you should maybe even have NFTs or something. Like, hey, uh, you know, it, it should be so simple. Like every person who buys a ticket gets an NFT in their wallet and you scan when you go through the door and you need to make sure you have it with you using token proof. And, and you know, token proof has a, a QR code that changes. So you can't even screenshot and give it to someone else. You have to have the, the NFT oh, wow. on you. Th- th- just things like that, right? Uh, Moonbirds is doing that tonight, by the way. Kevin Rose's uh, party. You have to own one of these Moonbirds, which is worth, you know, I don't know, 20 ETH right now at the minimum, uh, which is, what, $25,000, $30,000 and to get in. And you have to have registered a few weeks ago to get in. And then you get a, an NFT effectively on, you know, the, the Moonbird is the NFT and then you use a token token proof to get a pass. But you cannot screenshot that pass because the, the QR code's mm-hmm. only valid. It's like an, like an authenticator app, right? Like that sort of thing. Yeah. It constantly mm-hmm. changes like Google Authenticator. Yeah. And then exactly. what about these complaints, the the sort of anonymous account that did the long tweet thread about how they weren't going to yeah. speak today was was also just saying like in addition to the logistics it just feels like the whole thing is sort of a big salesy grifty vibe a total grifty vibe i mean you go in yeah. there the booths are all over the place it's like badly set up people are like there's no like order or no structure to it and then you're in the worst possible place like if you're sitting in a session and you got fire trucks and ambulance running down times like this is new york it's really and like I didn't, right. I just didn't think that they 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 thought through you know the, the logistics for a conference that size of this scale. It should have been done in a different place. Now I I get yeah. that it's attractive to do it where they did it, um, and maybe they got a really good deal, but <laughs> it it wasn't a great deal for us. Okay, we got some exciting news for you right now. We're going to give one twist listener one thousand dollars in Squarespace credits. You ever go to a company's website and it looks absolutely gorgeous? Well. We want to show off your best web designs, and it can be anything, a landing page, a feature flow, a design aesthetic, anything that would wow your users. So use your creativity here. The possibilities for submissions are endless, and you can apply. It's super simple. You head to showusyourspace.com, which will redirect you to a tweet from me at Jason. Then you reply to the tweet with a short video, image, link, GIF, anything that shows off your space. Then my team and I will feature the best submissions on This Week in Startups. So we're going to plug your startup, your landing page, your video, whatever it is. And I'm going to pick one of these winners to give them a $1,000 Squarespace gift card. Today, we're going to highlight a submission by Twitter user Jonah Salita, and it's called Dial with two L's. It's a mental health app focused on Gen Z. You can check out the product at dialapp.com with two L's. The site looks great because you guessed it, it's built on Squarespace. Come on. We knew it was built on Squarespace. That's why it's so beautiful. And don't forget, you get 10% off at squarespace.com slash twist by using the promo code twist. All right. So there's so much to talk about. And just this is against the backdrop of Bitcoin bottoming out. I think it hit like 18k or something around that. 17 and change. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, And Ethereum coming massively down. But you've been through this before. Um, Just broadly speaking, um, how does this drawdown feel qualitatively to you versus the others? Uh, Is it different? And could it get much worse? Or does it feel analogous to I think there's been four big drawdowns, if I'm correct, and this is the fifth, or is this the fourth? 
you know, when I say big drawdowns, sure, sure, over yeah. 50, 60%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is the fifth, fifth, maybe even the sixth, uh, who knows in, in percentage terms, right? So, uh, in yeah. absolute terms, this has been the biggest in absolute value terms, but in terms of percentages, I think it's, uh, it's not the biggest yet, but I, I do think that, um, there was a massive deleveraging that happened on the way down and you had a lot of positions that are sold out and we'll get into that now with what happened with Solana, uh, with, with mm -hmm. Solend. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's kind of normal, right? So you had this like crazy deleveraging because everyone went on to Celsius and Luna and Anchor and whatever else and borrowed money to buy more crypto. And that whole sort of, that whole system got unwound. And, you know, I'm a big fan of DeFi, but a certain flavor of DeFi. And, and let me give a very simple example. Um, I think when, you know, if, if Jason, if I need to borrow money and I have one Bitcoin and it's worth 20K and Jason wants to lend, $10,000 against that, knowing that if a price drops to 15, he's going to sell me out or do a margin call. And at, you know, at 14 or 13, like I get liquidated and he's guaranteed his money and I'm paying him 8% interest on that. That's kind of a good deal, right? And that's dollar on dollar interest. So I, I borrowed $10,000 USDC and, uh, and I'm going to pay him back 800 bucks interest over a year. And he has my Bitcoin as security and he knows that if a price drops, he sells it. That's actually a very good legitimate use for DeFi. I think we can all agree there. That's basically taking out the banks, taking out the middlemen, and having a peer-to-peer -peer transaction for a borrower and a lender to to put up collateral and not use credit. And credit's a whole different game. This is collateralized lending. The problem mm -hmm. with DeFi is that it evolved from that to guys thinking like, oh, how do I juice these returns? So how about it's 8% right now, and if you lend on my platform, I'll give you some of these tokens for the platform, and then your effective yield is, you know, 20%, Jason, because so you, you land on my platform, you, you're going to get some cash or you're going to get all these tokens. And, but these tokens are worthless because it becomes like a Ponzi because the more people, you know, and this is what's really happened with, with Luna, right? Luna became some, somewhat of a Ponzi. Um, and it totally co so collapsed to be because they couldn't sustain clear, it. Let me reflect it back to you in, in plain English as best I can for the audience. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have the Bitcoin. It's worth 20,000. I loan it out. I get $10,000. I can go spend my money without selling my crypto, I get to hodl my Bitcoin, but I get to use that yes. 10,000 to live my life. And listen, if it's always going up every year, um, uh, and it goes to 40, I can, you know, uh, now I've only got 25% of the value of it loan. So it's pretty cool. If you were thinking about it, like a mortgage on your house, the value of the house goes up, and you're paying exactly. down your mortgage over time, you know, the amount of equity you have in your home just keeps increasing, and it's all good. Mm hmm. And, and what's beautiful about this is I don't need to have a middleman. There's no broker in the middle. Now, I guess the criticism would be if you were to get margin called, there would be somebody to call to say, hey, give me 48 hours or whatever. There might be like a little grace period or something. But here it's all programmatic. It just happens naturally, which keeps everybody honest. But people were not in addition to doing this to get you to put your Bitcoin on some of these exchanges or these DeFi, I guess would be the better term. These DeFi exchanges the DeFi, or these DeFi, DeFi services, DeFi platforms. DeFi platforms, yeah. platforms right? yeah. So for yeah. these DeFi platforms said, hey, we'll sweeten the pot. You get the 8%, but we'll, we'll throw in some of our, you know, name our DeFi platform tokens. And yeah, maybe they'll be worth something at some point, but they basically gave people Chuck E. Cheese tokens. So people were like, oh, I'm getting even more, which then incentivized them to put more on these. And then essentially the system, am I correct, worked the way it's supposed to, which is it's a smart contract. When it hit a certain level, it sold it out. And the problem there is nobody really knew how much leverage or margin was in the system. So when it goes down, it just cascades until the breaking point. Yes, except, except 
So we, we're conflating two different situ- scenarios here. Uh, mm-hmm. on, a, on a totally <coughs> transparent system like Solen, you know exactly how much is in the account, how much is being lent out, and, and that's ah. very transparent. When it comes to Celsius and Luna, it's, a, mm. it's basically back to centralized banking because these platforms have got, mm. you know, Celsius has their own token, et cetera, and it's, it's black box. So you don't know what's the, yeah. what their books look like. You don't know how much collateral damage there's going to be when they sell. So we went from, hey, this is a great way to wrap a Bitcoin in, you know, onto an Ethereum token called WBTC, lend it out, borrow money against it, and get, you know, like you think about it, you're taking two re- relatively hard assets. You take Bitcoin and you take US dollars, and, and that actually makes sense. There's a trade that happens, and you can do it you know, in full transparency of everyone out there. But now, now you start bringing in third-party tokens. And, well, you know, instead of using Bitcoin, let's use some other, you know, crap coin asset with a low market cap. Let's, do, let's start borrowing against, like, coins, right? Like, really low mm-hmm. down the, 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 the stack, low market caps. And then the volatility increases. Like, Bitcoin's volatility in a single day, you, you don't get a 90% drop in Bitcoin in one day. It just doesn't happen. Ah. But you can get that on a, on, a, on a low market cap coin if someone decides to just dump it, right? Um, mm. And, and, and so you went from two high quality assets doing a trade to a multitude of high to low and then borrowing dollars and then interest being paid in, you know, dollars and a multitude of other currencies, which it's just very opaque. Got it. Startups need a central hub to store information and collaborate on work more than ever, especially when you have remote teams. That's why you need to move to a right first culture. Any best practice, any project should be written down in one place. We went fully remote back in March of 2020, and Notion became our internal knowledge bank. Now, we use it for external purposes. You can go to thisweekinstartups.com slash checklist to check one of the many ways we're using it externally. We took our 100-point founder checklist, which we made for the podcast, and we made for our founders. And you know what? We said, why don't we share this with everybody? This is like a book for free on Notion, and you can take it, copy it to your Notion. You can write notes on it, and that's the magic of Notion. They have great templates. It puts everybody on the same platform, and it just accelerates your efficiency. When new people join your company, they go to Notion, and they see all the projects going on, and they quickly get up to speed. It's changed everything. So here is your call to action. Go to Notion.so and get addicted like the rest of us. Use the promo code TWIST. You're going to get $250 off their annual plan, Notion.so, and use the promo code TWIST during checkout for $250 off. Thanks to the Notion team for making a great product that we love and enjoy every day. Okay, well, since you brought up Solend, which is supposed to be better, at least around transparency, there has been, and we're hoping that you can help us understand this. Um, it Solend is this DeFi protocol built on Solana, uh, and it sounds like the DAO that built it voted on Sunday to take over this whale account that accounts for 95 about percent of the platform's total deposits. Can you help us understand what happened here and why that why and how it could happen that effectively the DAO that controls this protocol or app layer could say like, you can have your money investor. Sure. So, so let's start with like understanding. I want to just like set the ground here. So first of all, (laughs) Solend Solend is an application, right? It's it's a it's a it's a protocol. It sits on top of a blockchain. It happens to be Solana, right? And they call themselves Solend. They could have been built on Ethereum. They could have been built on Bitcoin or whatever. Um, and so, but they chose obviously Solana. Now, they could also choose a multitude of assets to hold. They could say, "We will take um, wrapped Bitcoin. We'll take wrapped Ethereum. We'll take USDC. Whatever it is, 
but in this case, it was a Solana contract. So the person who put the Solana on, the, that was their collateral. That's their asset that they want to borrow against. And on the other side of the trade, there are people who are willing to lend dollars against that asset with enough you know, margin between what the, what the price was and what it could be in case it would drop and then the liquidation event occurs. So, so you know, at, at the very, very basic level, this is a very fair transaction because the people lending the money out believe that Solana was a hard enough asset at the time to allocate their funds to it. And there's always risk, right? And they took the risk of going with this platform and this governance structure that they had. Now, what happened was, as the market totally delevered and unwound and the Solana price dropped closer and closer to a liquidation point, the risk at that point was that people would lose their money if they sold 100 million. So if the spot price of Solana hit 22, for example, and now you start having cascading liquidations, if you try and dump 100 million, the average price you may get for that 100 million is going to be 15 bucks or whatever, some, some number much lower. So now because there's not that foot, many buyers, especially in a down exactly. market like this, you might not have right. as many retail people, as many people speculating. So to fill that order could be disastrous. Yes. Well, if you do that on open exchange, remember the o open exchange order books are very thin, relatively. Yep. The OTC desks are very different, right? So if you have an OTC desk that, you know, if you want to go move $25 million with a Solana, they know who the buyers are, they contact them, you, you do a spot price. Uh, and this is the same as it works in stock exchanges as well. If you're doing a very large deal, you're not going to put it through the order books. You're going to do a book trade, right? And so you're going to buy and sell. So, so what, what the protocol said is, look, we're going to vote to do that. Uh, if it drops a certain point or we're going to take ownership of it now to prevent this thing being automatically sold into the market into a thin order book and dumping the price below what the real market price is. Now, Got it. by the way, I'm and explaining case, the logic here. I'm not expressing an opinion here. I'm trying to explain the logic behind this. So don't. Right. Take anything I say as my opinion on what should or shouldn't have happened. Well, but it's but it, you're saying like but, but, but this I, is I'll why this is why a vote like this would occur, and in this case, that yes. vote happened to affect a single holder. Yes, so that's the mm -hmm. other thing. There was concentration risk on the platform where one single holder had ninety percent of all the the Solana uh, on that platform or the, the lending contracts on the platform. So, and I want I want to just finish off by saying that the vote that happened was reversed. I think yesterday. And, yeah, and $25 million of the book was moved to a different marketplace to spread it around. So the community is figuring out how to do this. We are very early days in, in, in DAOs and whatever else. But I do believe at the core that the, 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 the operators of this protocol are trying to act in a responsible way um, mm. and, and resolve the issue without taking damage to the people who are holding the debt. So so then you, what, what happens? You get a whole bunch of attacks from everyone else. You get attacks from uh, other, other chains, other protocols saying, Oh, look what's happening on Solana. Let's be clear. This is not a Solana issue. This is a protocol designed on Solana where they're making yeah. the decisions for what they do with their DAO and stuff. So, so it's not about decentralization of Solana. It's about do you trust protocols built on certain blockchains or not? Do you trust who's running right. them? This do you would trust be the equivalent yeah. of, you know, there might be an app in the Google Play Store. Exactly. But Google exactly. didn't write it. And people who bought exactly. into that Google Play app, if mm -hmm. it wound up having some problems or crashed your phone or was hacked or whatever, that, that, that's not a reflection on Android as necessarily. It's a reflection on the app that was built by some third party. But in fact, in this case, it seems like both parties are being served well here because if, and, and this goes back to what I was saying before, which is like, hey, it's programmatic. Most of the time when people set up this leverage, uh, or do these, you know, DeFi loans, it's programmatic. If it, if Bitcoin falls to 15 bucks, everything gets sold. 
and you get your money. So your loan is not washed. The person who loses in that is maybe the person who loaned it, who would rather have holdled and kept it. And they took this risk to take a margin loan and get a margin call, basically. But in this case, this was a DAO, a decentralized uh, autonomous organization. They had a voting structure. People bought into that voting structure and the voting structure said, hey, listen, we're the ones who made the loan. We gave the money. We would like to see this happen in an orderly fashion so we can get back as much as possible. Because if it did flood and it sold, they might be underwater. Is that what I'm reading into it? Yeah. So, and that would be, okay. So it's bad for a number of participants. It's bad for the collateral. So, so the underlying collateral being Bitcoin, if this was a hundred dollars worth of, well, sorry, uh, Solana, if this was a hundred dollars, million dollars worth of Bitcoin or Ethereum or any other coin mm-hmm. at, you know, over this past weekend with low liquidity, everyone in that, I- anyone who owns those, like for example, it was Bitcoin, Bitcoin price would tank. If you, if you sell a hundred million bucks, markets sell a hundred million dollars on Bitcoin on a, you know, on a low liquidity weekend, it's going to break the price of Bitcoin. It's going to mm-hmm. go drop it, you know, a, a significant percentage. Um, and so, you know, the, 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 I think the way to look at this was the DAO said, what is the greater good year? And this is, this kind of goes back to Ethereum as well. They had the whole DAO hack back in 2016 where, you know, the Ethereum DAO was hacked and they did a 97% of all Ethereum holders decided to, you know, go with a hard fork. And then you have Ethereum Classic, which was formed out of it, that whole thing. And everyone right. kind of disagreed. And at the time, I thought it was, the, I, I thought like people should just lose their money. But you know what? If you look at the, if you look back right now with hindsight, it was the right decision to preserve and you know and, and do the hard fork because like from a Bitcoiner sort of early view, you should never hard fork for that reason. It's like everyone takes risks for their own money and that's fine. But Ethereum was just too young and too early on mm-hmm. where they they had to they had to self correct, and that's kind of what Solend is doing right now. They're saying, look, we're, we're still learning. The space is new. We don't know how to deal with some of these things. But what is the what is the greater good? Is it better just to dump the salon in the market or the lenders? Uh, who lent against it lose money? Everyone who holds Solana suffers because this thing got market sold. Or do we try and just make sure that we can get out clean? And the guy who borrowed the hundred million dollars, well, you know, he put up his collateral and he's lost it because uh, the market tanked. Like there's nothing we can do about it. And so they mm-hmm. try to basically arrange an 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 you know an organized sale of it. I, I think it's a, I think it's a really hard thing to give a. Um, an opinion on because you it's one of those things where if you're not in the seat of the ceo of the team of the people running it it's like you it's hard to understand what what it feels like having to make those decisions and jason you know this you've you've been there before so i think that no one did did anything dishonorable in my opinion i think they made they try to make the best of a bad situation which was largely driven by exogenous forces in the market and people had to figure out how to how to deal with it. This whale had deposited 5.7 million Solana tokens. Those were worth a couple of hundred million at the time. They took a hundred and eight million dollar loan. Those 5.7 billion are still worth like 150. So I guess the people who loaned out that money are going to get their money back in all likelihood as they liquidate this. It's just a matter if it happens instantly or not. I mean, that is what well, this yeah. comes down to is an instant liquidation rocks the market. And but, could create fear and panic it's, it's selling. it's been reversed. It's been reversed. So the, the DAO decision, so the, the DAO uh-huh. is basically, right. you know, so uh, owners, owners of the protocol, the people yeah. who own enough votes to decide on what it is. It's kind of a collective force. They've decided that they had a revote and they basically said, mm-hmm. okay, we're not going to do this. And if it, if it gets down to 22 bucks, we're going to just, you know, let, let the market decide what it does with this. And because I think okay. at this point, 
before this happened, the market was probably not well aware of this situation. And now the market's kind of priced it in. And, and I think, look, Solana's right. up right now. I'm hoping it you know, doesn't get down to 22 bucks. And, they, and they're now moving the, you know, they, they've already moved 25 million off. So they're spreading the risk around. Um, and quite frankly, I, I think that we, I think we hit the bottom at 17K. And I think we're on our way up right now, um, unless the Fred nukes the economy even more. So I'm cautiously optimistic at the moment. I think, I think there may be more nukes in the barrel, but before we get there, um, <laughs> what does, what are the sort of like learnings that will come out of this? Because it seems we've talked a lot about on this show about how one of the things that seems to have happened in the absence of like product is a more and more and more financialization of these assets that, you know, like yeah. what you're describing is effectively like, oh, well, mortgages existed. And then we realized that we could trade you know, package up mortgages and sell them. And then we realized that some of them were risky. And so we could package those up and sell them. And there would be a different kind of collateral and leverage. And that increasingly, there have been all these sort of financial tools employed to get value out of these assets that look and walk a lot like regulated banking activities, but aren't. And so, like, at what point are we saying, this is all something that's existed before and should be regulated thusly, or even Maybe you can't build a DeFi app on top of a layer one protocol that could crush the entire underlying token because it's not managed properly. So we're, we're learning about concentration risk, which I think a lot of people know about, but, um, you know, <laughs> we, we kind of ignore. And when things are going well and, the, and everything's in a boom cycle, I mean, Jason, you, you, you're always the first to call this out, right? Like, in, 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 you know, when we when we go into like a silly money era, everyone loses their sense of sensibility and like it goes out the window. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the problem we had right now. And I'm, I'm hoping we had a wake up call and we're going to rebuild from 20K back up to 69,000 again with Bitcoin. But, um, the, the bottom line is this. I, I the more we try and recreate the banking system, the more we're going to fail because the banking system is a, tr is a tried and tested model that works. Okay. It's, it really does work for the banking world. But isn't world. that what's, but isn't that what's happening? I guess that's what I'm asking because it feels like well, we're recreating the, parts of the banking system, but with less rules. So, so no, yes and no. The banking system is largely based on credit. Credit is an asset, um, but it's it's an intangible asset. Your credit score is an intangible asset. It belongs to you. You can use it. You can leverage. But at, at end of the day, if your credit score goes down, you've devalued your asset. If it goes up, you've valued your asset. So the entire banking system works on credit and trust. Bitcoin was built to be a trustless system, okay? You with no counterparty risk. You should know who you, you have to know who you're dealing with. You, you know, there's a decentralized ledger, and it's a it's a native asset. Now, what we're doing now is the closer and closer we try and turn uh, crypto into the banking system, the more we're going to fail. The closer we get to this sort of trustless decentralized compute platforms, I mean Ethereum, Bitcoin, I think the better. Um, I think the point of crypto is to remove middlemen from all the transactions and it just basically becomes trustless trustless transactions and get to the point where you you know it, there's just full transparency of what's going on but and the moment we use centralized companies like luna and 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 celsius and even blockfi and whoever else the more we're basically just rebuilding banking Listen, lots of founders are loosey-goosey with their personal phone numbers. They put it on their company documents, they use it on sales calls, email footers, it's all over the place. What happens if that salesperson leaves the company? 
and now people are calling and that person's gone on. Maybe they went to a competitor and now they're using their personal phone number to get sales from previous emails that they sent under your email address. But you will clean up all this mess with open phone. They help you create a business phone number for you and every member of your team. And it works through an app on your smartphone or desktop. You pick a number, you install the app, bada bing, you're done. That's it. No need to carry two phones like back in the day. And by the way, we can tell you open phone is amazing because our sales team uses it every day. I kid you not, we use it every day. That's why we're such fans of this. Open phone is already super affordable. A starting price of just $10 a month. Twist listeners can get an extra 20% off any plan for your first six months by signing up at openphone.com slash twist. And if you have an existing phone number with another service, no problem. Open phone will port them over for free. So head over to openphone.com slash twist. And listen, we get credit for you using the service. You're going to love it. And you're going to save 20%. Okay, great deal for everybody. And so where do you stand on the because this is I guess if we if we were to bring all these decisions down to um, first principle, it would be should you live and die by what happens programmatically what happens automatically with the software? Or should humans be able to intervene on these? Or should crypto have both flavors? Or some combination because you could build systems that things happen automatically, but with some smart contracts that say in the case of, you know, uh, a disagreement, here's what happens. So where do you stand, you know, having been doing having done this for 10 years and built a lot of the infrastructure and participated in it? What do you think is best for, you know, crypto and for humanity writ large, in terms of these things? Should there be middlemen who can intermediaries who can step in and say, Hey, you know what, this was not the intention. Or I hear some crypto people say, this is how it's supposed to work. I think they're kind of absolutists mm. in that they don't want an intermediary to intervene. If you lose your money, you play the game in a system that you do not get your money back. So, so how do you, you know, at this point, yeah. fall on that spectrum? So, so okay, let me, let me start with, with I, I go back to Bitcoin because Bitcoin for me is first principles of crypto. So. In Bitcoin, Bitcoin was basically designed as a system where um, I can send you money, Jason, and if I send it to the wrong person or I send it to you and you don't deliver the goods, I'm out of pocket. It's not like the credit card system where I can go to Visa and say, hey, I need a chargeback. I'll go to my bank and say, mm. Jason, to deliver. So, the, so so, it's a cash system, if you think about mm. it. Like, it's a bear, it's a bearer system. Um, and that was, that was like, the, the, I guess, the genesis of the whole industry is you can use this non-repudiatable system of moving value around and now we've got to the point where you know it's looking a lot more like banking with oh this is who the person is this is um you know this is the risk you're taking through centralized and decentralized players um but to answer your question more specifically i think there is a spectrum that we need to look at and the spectrum would be from on the sort of far left side being bitcoin to the far right side being i don't know celsius or luna or whatever and there's a spectrum of decentralization to centralization. In fact, I even go f- if you go further right, it's probably banking, right? So the banking system. So you've got this like spectrum from Bitcoin to banking, and you have all this white space in between. And what's happening right now is we're testing a bunch of stuff in between right now. And uh, on a long enough time frame, the winners will emerge, and you'll find maybe it's a hybrid, maybe it's an 80-20, maybe it's a 50-50, maybe it's a 70-30. But I think we need to run lots and lots of experiments in this industry and ecosystem 
to see what stands the test of time. I know for I know for a fact that Bitcoin will stand the test of time and banking will stand the test of time because you know to, to some extent they both have. Right? They've, they've you know on the banking on the far right has been around for hundreds of years and we know that that works. And on the other side, Bitcoin's been around for a decade and crypto that's actually a long time and it works. But all the stuff in the middle, we're still trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And it's and and, and the reason is like the reason this is difficult is because the moment you try and hybridize something, because like what we're trying to do is we're trying to hybridize Bitcoin and move it closer to what consumers are used to, what consumers mm. understand. Because when you tell a the consumer they just lost their money on a transaction, they don't understand it. Like, how do you just lose my money? How do, how can I not get it back? They're comparing it to the bank. fiat system, which has Ex- existed exactly. for a long time, exactly. and the government has regulated for a long time. And because it looks like that increasingly. Yeah. It looks exactly. increasingly like that, which I think is, you know, a, a problem for the ecosystem at some point, exactly. right? It's a, com- it's a comms problem. <laughs> like people exactly. are out here on Reddit forums talking about the Celsius freeze being like, wait, they can't just keep, our, there's like FDIC or something, right? And it's like, peanut, no, there isn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you did something so, so very we, risky. <laughs> they just said, give us your money. We'll be custodians of, I mean, custodians of it. You, you didn't do this in your wallet. You let somebody else, you know, do these transactions for you at Celsius. They're like a hedge fund. They, they, they exactly. abstracted the whole process from you. You did not play by the actual crypto rules. So they wrapped not your keys, not your coins, not your keys, not your coins, not your coins. Exactly. Mm. You didn't. And and the same thing is for Coinbase, except for the more uh, custodial service they offer. Correct. Like on Coinbase, if you're a rank and file Coinbase person, they abstracted the Bitcoin. You don't have the keys. If something happens to Coinbase, which I think is a very small percentage, but they've had to talk about this you don't have the keys to your coins. Whereas if you had the custodial account, I think at Coinbase and other places, you pay for them to custodian, but you still have your keys and they're in yeah. storage, I think. It's like, a trust, it's like a trust account. It's, it's in yeah. your benefit. So so the, here's the difference, right? Coinbase, we know, we know Brian and Coinbase, they're not going to take your funds and use it in a way which is risky, right? right. And this is, and by the way, banking has been through this already. The, you know, in 2008, in the great financial crisis, the reality about banking is that they privatize their losses because uh, sorry they privatize they socialize their losses and they privatize their profits in the previous era. So the banks just took a lot of risk with your money, and they, when they made profits, they got big bonuses, and when they made losses, the government had to bail them out. And so the, it, it kind of happened with Celsius already and others in the space. They taking these guys have been taking ridiculous amounts of risk to juice their profits. Because they basically rehypothecate the money, so you put the mm-hmm. b- Bitcoin with them mean? as collect. Yeah. So y- you know, I, I, here's an example. I, you know, and this is like basically banking. Um, you put a Bitcoin with them, and you want an interest, uh, and someone puts dollars with them, and and they give you the you know they 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 give the dollars to you if you want to borrow against your Bitcoin. But then they take your Bitcoin and they go lend it out to someone else to get a higher interest on it, uh, or they or they come up with some fancy way you mm-hmm. know using options and puts and whatever else they they find like. Because it's centralized, it's not transparent. You don't know what they're doing with your coins when it's mm. there. And that's basically, we're going back to the banking world and we've learned all these mistakes in banking already over decades and centuries. And mm. so the only thing I think that works in DeFi is transparent transactions on smart contracts. Using, using these like centralized third parties where there's a CEO that can take your money and lend it out to his buddies or like, I mean, this is the same problem with Tether, right? Tether, we don't know what's in Tether. Nobody knows, okay? 
I, I think they probably have the money they claim they do in assets and treasuries and bills and whatever else. But we don't know what the liquidity reserves are. We don't know whether they're sitting at 5% or 20% reserves. If, if, mm-hmm. if we don't know what we, we don't know how much money, how much cash withdrawal from Tether is required to break Tether. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it's probably a good thing we don't know, Jason, because if we knew, then the hedge funds could go do a run on Tether. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so I, I get, I get why they're keeping it sort of opaque. Uh, but th- again, we're still now we're treading into the banking world again. And so I, 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 I personally hate banking. I think the banking world sucks and I think we have to reinvent it. But I don't think reinventing it means copying it <laughs> into crypto. Right. I think that's the mistake we're going to make. So I love all these experiments that's playing out in, in DeFi. I think it's, a, it's healthy. We have to tolerate a lot of failure that we tolerated the dot com era. I mean, you remember there was a ton of. Sure. The, there was a ton of uh, companies that failed. I mean, like 98% of the companies failed, 99% of the yeah. companies failed. But the I mean, to this day, angel investing is yeah. a pursuit where 90% fail, one out of 10, you know, are the bulk of your return. So the best advice, Vinny and Molly, correct me if I'm wrong here, is if people who are civilians choose to play in this, um, only invest money you can afford to lose, uh, make small bets and learn as you go, and don't be concentrated um, this is a, a very experimental space, even in its second decade. Would you think that is good financial advice, Molly and Vinny? $300, man. <laughs> Molly makes her little <laughs> so, bets. She's like, Molly's like your aunt who goes to Vegas and she shooter. has like a little, she's like, I'm going to Vegas. I'm a pea shooter. I'm, I'm going to go a, see. $1,500. Well, yeah. because Vinny, everybody else in the world has heard the story. I don't know if you have, but I bought, I bought, uh, 300 Bitcoin. At one dollar, yeah, wow, and then on, M- on empty gox. Ah. Oh shoot! And it's gone now, which is why I'm sitting Sorry. here on this show. Yeah, exactly. So now, well, actually, did you file a claim? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. <laughs> it's, it's it was the first one, not the second one. So yeah. then, by the time mm-hmm. those claims came, it was like too late, and Dwala uh, was involved, and mm-hmm. so. No. All right, let's go to Luna here because yeah. I'm interested in your position on this. There was a breaking story. I'm sure, Vinny. Um, yeah. But as of this morning, South Korea oh, has seen. instituted a flight ban for all Terra employees. In other words, this isn't, does it mean that they're guilty, obviously, so let's be clear. Um, but South Korean prosecutors have placed a travel ban on dozens of current and former Terraform Labs employees. The country is conducting an investigation, as they should, into the company and its founder, Do Kwan. Do Kwan was on episode 1251 in uh, July last year. Uh, which is now, yeah, just on a year ago. Uh, this is after Terra, the algorithmic stablecoin, and its accompanying token Luna collapsed in May. Here's the quote from the article. South Korea's no-fly ban on Terraform Labs came after a special financial crimes unit in the prosecutor's office launched an investigation last month into two complaints filed on behalf of 81 investors. This is typically how this stuff goes down, folks. Um, you know, the, the investigators, uh, somebody loses money, and then the investigations happen when everything's going mm-hmm. up. The investigator, nobody calls the investigators because they're making money. The investigators allege that Terraform founders and the company deceived investors with their flawed algorithmic coins. According to the document, Stokwan has been ordered by a U.S. court to comply with subpoenas from the SEC regarding the sale of potential unregistered tokens. So this seems to be sort of, and near as we can tell, related to the collapse, but also maybe suspicions of some insider trading that might have happened right before mm. the collapse. So I, I don't know the this? details around this. I, I don't know the details yeah, around this, but talk to us about but let me get, Terra. Yeah, yeah generally. So, yeah. so, so I, I managed to dodge the bullets on these things because I, I never. I mean, as someone who's been in crypto for a long time, 
people mm-hmm. thought I was crazy for not buying Luna, for not putting money in Anchor, for not doing. And I'm like, I don't. I do it because I've been around crypto for a long time, and I see how yeah. these things go bad, right? So, so I, I'm, you know, and and I actually warn people. I think I was on Run Show like two weeks before Luna even started to dip below the, you know, the one dollar range, and and before things started going bad, I said, look, at some point this doesn't, you know, end well, and um, you know. So, so my take is that, that this is part of the learning experience. People just need to learn the hard way. Uh, it's mm. sad. I'm, I feel sorry for everyone who's lost money, but you shouldn't be putting money in places where the returns are being promised to you are way, way, way in, ex- ex- in excess of market returns, firstly. I think that the, the authorities in South Korea are actually being pretty reasonable about this ban. I think we don't know what happened in Terra. They need to do an investigation, and the flight risk is really high. If there are yeah. employees there that ran away with you know, hundreds of millions or tens of millions of whatever of, of, of ill-gotten gains. It may not have been stolen. It may have been like they're shorting their own coin because they know it's going to collapse and things like that. You, you actually have to investigate everyone and, and, you know, maybe there's some way, you know, recover some funds from the, for the victims of this. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of on the side of like, I, I, you know, they're not putting everyone in jail. It's just you cannot leave the country until we've figured out what the hell happened. Um, and I, I think that's actually kind of reasonable. Seems reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's also trades that could have been made on these. So as a crypto expert, you, you could have played a little game here, put some money into them knowing the hype cycle, but you just choose to focus on the ones you think are most important. Yeah. Yeah. My, my portfolio is very focused on high quality, long-term buy and hold projects where I think that, you know, these guys are going to do well. Um, you know, I, I really, really trade. Sometimes I trade out because I'm wrong for a period and I want to take a, mm. you know, a tax loss or something. But that's the only time. Uh, normally, it's just buy and hold. And then sometimes, you know, you, you become overweight in certain projects, whatever, and you have to take some cash to the table, rebalance your portfolio. But as a long-term sort of investor in crypto, I, I think that's, you know, speculating. And, and I, I, by the way, I, I've, this is, I've made these mistakes, right? I've bought all these, like, crappy coins and this and that, and you wind up speculating, you know, some money in there and you lose money. But those are always small bets relative to the portfolio. Mm-hmm. It's the same as Jason. Like, how many times do you, you come across a... um you know, a project where you just say, I'll just give the guy 25k just because, I'm, you know, let's see where it goes. Yeah, you make a feeler bet, yeah. as we'd say in the poker business. You, exactly. just, you know, you put exactly. out a little bet, see where you're at. You're, the flop comes down, you, you missed it, you put out a, uh, you, you know, you small pot size bet. Yeah. And, you know, you put $200 into a $1,000 pot, you never know, some people may not have anything, they don't want to fight it. Um, well, I exactly. like, I really like, though, the principles that you've sort of laid out in the form of in in this conversation, right, which is that, if it looks like banking, as we have discussed, if it looks like the kind of financialization, money-making grab without transparency behind it, don't do it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because, like, because stay away yeah, from that. You, you, exactly. You're going to make the same mistakes the bankers have yeah. made for hundreds of years, and there's no way you can make all those mistakes in a couple of years and get it right, right? So it's, it's the, like my, you have to, if we're going to reinvent banking, it has to be reinvented. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. You, you got to change the way the game is played. You cannot do it the same way. All right. So then so what do you think about, are you going to this next, this fundraise? I was going to, yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Mal, you take it. So then I would be curious to know. So we, there was also news today. Solana-based NFT marketplace Magic Eden raised $130 million Series B at a $1.6 billion valuation. That's a secondary marketplace for NFTs with over 7,000 collections. It is evidently uh, responsible for 92% of all Solana-based NFT volume. And as of June 1st, made up almost 97% of the market share for daily Solana NFT transactions. What do you think about this part of the 
ecosystem. I think it's probably right now. it's probably a pretty it's probably a pretty good deal. Um, and the the reason is it seems I mean, outrageous in terms of valuation. Why would that be a good deal? Is there a ton no, of volume of making money? It, it, the, the the volume is is higher some days than OpenSea. OpenSea was valued at fourteen billion dollars a few few months ago. Mm. Um, OpenSea and Magic Eden are the two sort of juggernauts going head to head. OpenSea is native Ethereum, but they've added Solana support. Magic Eden is native Solana, and I don't know, but I, I don't think that they're adding Ethereum support to this. Uh, maybe they will, but I think they're probably just doubling down Solana. I think if if you look at the spectrum of what's happening in the NFT space, there are only two blockchains or maybe three that can compete in NFTs right now, um, and that is Ethereum number one, Solana is number two, and number three is probably Flow, you know, CryptoKitties, etc. So those are the three top blockchains out there right now for NFTs. And Magic Eden is the number one player on Solana. I think a, a, a valuation of 1.6 billion is probably reasonable for what they're busy building. And it's a great product. It's a great service. I use How it. How do these services know, make money? They get transaction fees on, on every single NFT sale. So, you, you know, Magic Eden, I think, takes two and a half. Uh, OpenSea takes two and a half percent. I'm not sure Magic Eden might be two and a half percent as well uh, on, on a transaction fee basis. And then, you know, obviously, the creators get something. Now, the difference between... Ethereum and Solana is obviously Ethereum still got the upcoming merge, which who knows how that goes. And Ethereum does have a history of having high gas fees. And so that eats away at the profits for, um, you know, both the, the, the exchanges as well as the, the, the creators and, and participant, participants in the ecosystem. And Solana has got a good, you know, I think, you know, track record of being really, really cheap. And they're actually trying to increase the price right now to reduce spam. Um, you know, using a, a new some new changes to the protocol. But the point is, like, we'll, we'll, these are all experiments. Let's see how they play out over the long term. But I don't think it's unreasonable to give Magic Eden a high valuation given uh, the, the sheer volume that they're doing right now. And on some days, as I said, they've they've eclipsed OpenSea. Hmm. Uh, let's talk about NFTs just writ large. Mm-hmm. There was this collectible concept to them. They were kind of becoming a store of value for people. And there was obviously a lot of speculation in them, people buying them, not because they love the art, but because they thought they would appreciate in value. Then there's this new thing like Fry Fish Club that uh, Gary V did where you're buying a membership. It's kind of Soho House. You don't own the Soho House, but you have a membership and you can flip it and sell it. And then Kevin Rose is doing his project, which is called Moonbirds and Moonbirds. Yes, exactly. And uh, Kevin's pretty legit uh, founder, obviously. His concept yeah. is he's going to just keep adding interesting um, benefits to it. We bought two NFTs for after party and invested in the company. I got a very small bet for us, L- but we likewise. thought, hey, if so- okay, and we, we know uh, the founders there are pretty legit. Yeah, I shouldn't say yeah. pretty legit. They're super legit. And their concept yeah. was to kind of make a music arts festival, I would think, along the lines of Coachella or Burning Man. Mm-hmm. And the NFTs become access. And in fact, they gave us, I think, four VIP tickets with yeah you know, each NFT, and that's in two, perpetuity, two I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's in perpetuity, right? So then if these things increase in value, I could sell that NFT that we bought for maybe 10k or 9k. And it'd be like having season tickets to the Warriors, except it'd be season tickets to Coachella. So these are two very different use cases. One is access to real world events and being part of a club. The other one is art. And I guess you're somehow part of a club, but the club is just you get to own part of the art. I- is that what this is going to turn into club memberships? Um, because that seems to be the only yeah. part that's actual real world value. I will say I wouldn't so write off the art. Art does have real world value. I'm like in, I'm advising an NFT project that is all about art right now. Okay, Just I art. kind of the reason I write it off is because it seems like they're flooding it with 
commodity slash bullshit art. So it's hard to determine. Sure. Like I know Beeple's real a real artist, but like anybody so, can hire like you know and and make ten thousand of these. It seems through third parties in Manila or Korea or whatever, and that's what people are doing. They just make, and I think yeah. some of these are auto generated art, like where like a computer is yeah. making it or something. So like so, when so, Dolly so, so again, can make a million of these, who cares? There's a spectrum. There's a spectrum yeah. here, right? So you get you get one of one art pieces. So you got unique, like a Beeple every day that he puts out, the, you know, one of one. You can own it or not own it. And that's mm -hmm. a unique art. And in the future, I already have these, by the way. I have these, like, NFT um, art frames at home where I can actually put a, a, a verified NFT art. So it's the same as, you know, a fake Mona Lisa versus a real Mona Lisa. I actually own the NFT and I got proof of ownership and I, mm -hmm. it's on the blockchain. And, and here's the art displayed in my home versus, um, you okay. know, a, a copy, okay, and I, a, on a digital frame. So that's the one thing. So you get the one of one. Then you've got the, you get the generative art, which I think is, uh, part of what you're talking about. The infinite. You can just create lots of this stuff. It doesn't matter. Um, you can, but then you get high quality generative art. I'm involved with a project called Explorers and it's, we, we, you know, we, you create the pieces and then you kind of generate the rarities and everything else and you put it together. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, we work at Concept Art House on that. That's actually a legit way of doing it. Um, then you get, you get, um, I mean, this is a whole spectrum. I, go, I could probably go through a whole bunch of other examples, but oh, you get AI art as well. Um, my wife's working on AI art right now, and it's actually incredible. Um, and what artists can do there. And then the question is, how many prints, how many? Copies what, what is of AI you art? Describe it. Um, so AI art is basically using artificial intelligence to take, um, you know, s scenes, uh, objects, etc., and and basically create. It's, it's hard to explain. Um, I'll have to show it to you. You describe <laughs> to the AI what you want, and it makes something interesting uh, that yeah, maybe you didn't yeah. intend. So it's a collaboration between the AI and the actual yeah, art, human art. Exactly, artist. exactly. Is that or my take, understanding of it? Yes. Or you take objects that that you take objects that you want to put together and say, you know, maybe it's a um, you know a chess piece and water and whatever else. You just create this this competitive art, but it requires it requires a good eye because like the AI has no idea what it's doing, right? It just it just kind of combines it. So you have to give instruction. Um, you know, and, and so that like, there's this whole spectrum of different types of art that you can create. Um, and I think digital art and NFTs are just the, the canvas. It's the canvas for, for artists, right? It's like the same yeah. as, you know, same as a regular canvas, you know, an art yeah. just needs paint. Honestly, and I mean, I will say, I am what do you think, Molly? Yeah, like I was very project. surprised yeah. to find myself agreeing with that. That, that there was, there is a, there is a goal behind this art project that it, there's, you know, a layer, a base layer that's been created specifically by the artist and then the rest is generated. It's sort of like you're describing, like there's, you, you know, you generate permeations out of these base pieces that are original, that are beautiful, that have been created with purpose, that have a philosophy behind them and that are purely driven out of like, I mean, I think what you are seeing when you talk to artists who are, you know, in this case, this woman is like not that techie was just is the last person you would think is genuinely an artist who was like huh there's a way to experiment with expression and the concept of identity and the way we present ourselves online here and to make something beautiful out of that and i was like yeah okay that's art that has value oh no, no I do, and i look this would be very clear yeah there's different types of generative art you get the yeah. the cookie cutter generative art which is i think what, what i'm talking about is like the stuff that you get outsourced at you know five bucks an yeah. hour and like that's junk. I think we all know that's that. But, like, but but you can create generative pieces of art. Like I said, yes. I have a project for for a hundred thousand pieces of art we're busy creating. It's high quality. It's generative, exactly. but mm -hmm. 
but it's and high it's quality limited generative. in scope. It's generative. So it's, it's high quality. It's limited. I, right. It's the difference. I'm, I'm between, doing it. I'm doing it. And I think are, it's great. I'm doing yeah. it too. We should totally talk. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's, this is, this is, this I'm, is I'm fascinated by it, but I just, it well, feels like the there's... the difference between, right, there are a million artists everywhere making, like, drawings on the beach. I mean, there well, was, like, no, a story the over thing. the weekend about somebody who was selling, like, pieces for, you know, 50 bucks in Times Square or whatever. Now they're going for a million dollars. Like, that's how art works. Here's yeah, yeah, a lot of junk. I, it's hard to understand. Yeah, it's hard to understand how art works. It's just, yeah, it's like, it's almost well, like crypto yes. in that it's like, there's this opaque, really weird thing. And there's also a lot of, you know, like, how something becomes a hit is part like manipulation because there's like people actually manipulating the art market you know like collectors and galleries and they like have insiders and like they sell to five insiders at a low price and they get the other 50 pieces to be bought by the public at a higher price and everybody's getting is flipping in between and there's arbitrage going on but then there's also like the actual art is pleasing to people and mm -hmm. the problem i have with the whole thing is because it is unlimited then it's hard to have scarcity. So it's just hard to navigate through it, like what actually things are working. Um, yeah. But yeah, if well, you're into well, it. But let's, let's go back to the, again, the spectrum of NFTs, right? Mm -hmm. So on the one end, you start with like one of one art, small collections, large, mm -hmm. large, low quality collections, large, high quality collections. And then you go into what else can you do with NFTs? Mm -hmm. uh, well, memberships. Memberships. I love I think, the membership idea. To me, that's the biggest win I've seen in crypto besides store of value. M well, yeah. so memberships and ticketing are the two big wins for me. Yeah. If you can create tickets that Which are Which I NFTs, consider the same thing, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, memberships are more permanent, and ticketing uh -huh. is you, you, you can transfer it, uh -huh. you can sell it, you can do all sorts of things with it. And I think those are great use cases for NFTs right now, and we're going to see more and more of that evolve. I, and the concept here is, when does the Apple wallet support NFTs? I mean, for me, the Apple wallet, when you go to a Warriors game, Ticketmaster gives you like a very specific essential NFT. It is one of one, I guess. Um, yeah. And you can't screenshot it anymore. By the way, I bought the Knicks playoff tickets last year mm -hmm. and on SeatGeek and they did the whole like, you know, send the PDF thing and they wouldn't accept it last year. And literally I bought like thousands of dollars worth of tickets and they stopped me at the door and said, your tickets are not valid. Super mm -hmm. embarrassing, right? I'm with like, yeah, three guests and i'm like hold on i went to the ticket window i said what's available because they have the resale value there i and i just bought another set of tickets and then i tweeted it and then cg got back to me we're sorry we'll refund your money but they, they're doing something with those that are um qr coded or have like some uniqueness to it so that's already coming but do you have a prediction of when apple wallet will support nfts i would Vinny. say to knowing, knowing apple probably 24 to 36 months from now because they're always like they're not the first movers in the space <laughs> pick a number they, pick a month we'll do an over under bet pick uh, a month I'll set say, the line I'll say th 36 36 months okay 36.5 you want to pick a specific <laughs> number so that we can <laughs> not have this thing where it's a push you know if it happens to happen uh, on month or 36.5 oh so or 35.5 oh uh, 35.5 okay molly you take the over or the under i'll tell you I'll on remember. apple wallet supporting crypto okay. NFT specifically. NFT, so your NFT specifically. is in your Apple wallet. So As when you go entry or, mechanism, yeah, exactly. no, I get or it. just mm -hmm. to prove your membership, you know, I'm like just so I try to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 35.5 35 35.5. So almost three years. Yeah. You go over or under? Over or under? I'm going to go over because it's Apple. I'm going to go under. <laughs> so we, are we in for a hundy, Molly? What are we in for? Are we in for a Warriors game? I told you. Oh, I bet oh, how much you want to bet against I bet in $2 increments, $2 okay. bills. All right, let's go with the sushi dinner. 
We always okay, a good sushi excuse. Dinner, that's sushi fine. dinner with Vinny capped off at 500 bucks. Can't go too crazy. Deal. Capped off but at we won't know for three years if we... I know, but that's the fun of it. That's okay, the yeah. fun but of it. Know, put put these, I want all the long producers on a notion page. Within 20% inflation a year, it's, we probably have to go to like 575. It's going to be like a $10,000 dinner. I'm going to take the under. Nick, let's make thisweekinstartups.com slash bets. And we're just going to chronicle all the bets on a notion page, please. Thank I love you. it. And uh, I texted. I've been doing it, this for years. We got to find all the old bets. Somebody needs to make an archive that we can search the whole transcripts. I bet the noties would do that for us. I bet they would. Should we maybe do that on uh, Coda? Yeah, do it on Coda, please. Yes, that's our sponsor. Coda. Well, both. Coda. Oh, they are both sponsors. Yeah. Okay, let's do Coda for this Coda one. Blood, Coda for this one. Right? I, did the, I did Notion on the last one. We both love Notion and Coda. But make, make me a Coda page. Okay. Uh, also, but the thing is, Dolly, I'm going to like shamelessly promote Here's my idea, Vinny. Oh, yeah, go Let ahead. me know if you like this grift. Rate <laughs> my grift. I'm going to make, I'm going to pay a developer to create uh, a portal between Dolly, the new AI that makes images. I'm going to have it take keywords that are trending on uh, Twitter. I'm going to make a word cloud of trending stuff, and I'm going to make a million NFTs a day based on the trending topics on Twitter, just randomly put them to us. So if the warriors are trending at the same time, I don't know. God, I don't want to say that because that's dark. Um, the warriors are trending at the same time as Obi-Wan and it just does a dolly photo, Obi-Wan and warriors. Obi-Wan with the warriors, whatever. And then you all of a sudden have Steph and Obi-Wan and Darth Vader together in a dolly photo. We NFT the out of this. And then we just flood the system with NFTs. What do you think? Rate my grift. Uh, <laughs> well, my I, think, I, think, like, I, 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 I think you'll have you'll struggle. So, you mean, would it work? Like, yes, if you, it would. Yeah. It sure, people. What does it cost to time? mint an NFT on Solana now? Because that's the key. If I do a million of these, of a, if I did it on Ethereum, wouldn't it cost like ten bucks each? Fraction of a penny. Fraction of a penny. If they flooded the system with that many NFTs, would that break the system? And why are people flooding? No, no, the no not at all. I mean, Solana can handle 6,000 transactions a second at the moment. So that's pretty good. I mean, I'll do a quick, uh, a quick uh, shout out to Civic. We've got Civic.me, which we, you know, mm. it's kind of been soft release this week. And Civic.me is basically a way for you to um, connect your, your, all your different wallets to a single ah, identity. Perfect. And, and then you, you, you can do proof of uniqueness and get a Civic pass. And so when you're doing a mint or whatever else, you can say it's, you know, unique for a certain person so ah. you know jason if you have 20 wallets you can link it to the same person so you aggregate curate it's uh, basically a it's decentralized how do you know the person at civic.me do you actually use a third-party system to verify it's me or ask me to send my passport or a driver's license because now on instagram i want to get verified they're like take a picture of your passport or driver's license i'm like yeah. okay so they're manually checking to try to figure this out i mean of course somebody could have stolen a picture of my credit card or my uh, driver's license or something i guess and try to do that it'd be a lot of work um but how do um, we actually so we, know who is we who? have is anybody doing okay, that so work we we are so somebody's been building oh. all this stuff for years we've got all this infrastructure to do verification pretty much i'd say 99 percent automated 95 percent. obviously we throw out exceptions we have to review those but uh what we do more more like importantly for nfts is we do uniqueness and so what uniqueness is basically is your face, um, without having to do identity and who you are, your face is used to create a 3D kind of map, a topographic map. 
So we know what your face looks like. We don't store your images. We just have this, mm. this map. And uh, with that facial recognition, you can link multiple accounts to that. And now when someone wants to know that it's the same person or it's unique to you, you have to produce your 3D face. <laughs> no one can ah. go in there with a the picture and try and pretend to be you. And so that's how we do it. We, we're trying to create a, this uniqueness infrastructure. Um, mm-hmm. Now, if someone requires that you're a U.S. citizen, then you have to produce some documentation, scan a, scan your ID, those sorts of things. But for, for general NFT usage, if it's just is the person unique and not a bot, we do that with mm-hmm. uniqueness testing in, in Civic. And so a lot of uh, NFT mints are using us because what Kevin Rose did really well, and it's worth noting, is when he did the the drop for Moonbirds and Proof, etc., it was like one one per person, and he had the raffle system and a whole bunch of other things built into it. But he was trying to make sure it was the most well distributed NFT uh, product, you know, in the world. And he did a really good job, mm. I think, um, at the time, given the resources they had. We want to make it a step better, where we we can do a drop to a hundred thousand people, and ninety nine percent of them are just unique individuals. Um, mm. Because the, the problem, in, and Elon talks about this all the time. I mean, the problem the problem with Twitter right now is is that the bot problem is real. I mean, Elon's not kidding. Yeah. People think Elon's like. You know, it's, it's actually real. We have a major bot problem in Twitter. And we, you, the only way you solve this problem is by what having What percentage do you think it is? What percentage? Do you think? I, I think it's, I think, look, it depends how you define it, right? Because I think they probably like look at banned accounts as being not there. And so like as a percentage of new accounts, I don't know. But I can tell you now, I'm pretty sure that on, on most Twitter profiles, 15 to 25% of the followers are fake. The 5% number is BS. Ridiculous. <laughs> I don't, it's ridiculous. So what, like I mean, what big, gymnastics do you, way more probably. What gymnastics do you think mental gymnastics Twitter has done to justify less, way less than 5% I think is what they said. So they, they there's, just, there's just lots of ways to, there's lots of ways to mask the numbers. You could say, you know, the, if we catch it, then it's not fake, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like there's ways they can exclude ban, you know, locked accounts or banned accounts. Like Jason, let me. I, I spent years going to talk to Twitter executives and and trying to get them to do identity, and they won't do it, and they didn't want Why? to do it for a reason. Why? Okay, it's a very simple reason. Cynical One reason, is, honest reason. Th- th- no, no, it's very simple. Like they did not, they do not want to catch the fraud because they then got to tell advertisers that the impressions are fake and give refunds or whatever else. Mm-hmm. As an advertiser previously on Twitter, I know that just a lot of the the views. Are bots. They're not real views. We know this for a fact. The engagement levels don't make sense. But the ad people and the salespeople have been trying to sell ads on Twitter forever. Like th- this mm-hmm. is th- there was no willingness to solve the bot problem. You can solve the, the way Twitter should work, in my opinion, is it should be one one human, multiple accounts. You can have a hundred accounts linked to the same u- human, and that way you can of analyze course. the system better. Because all we have in Twitter right now is this like echo chamber and fake amplification. So what happens in Twitter is someone has 50 or 100 accounts or 500 accounts and Twitter goes and says, are you a real human? And the guy goes, yes, I'm a real human. Yes, I'm a real right. human. Like on, on multiple accounts. So because they, and their argument is when we check these accounts, there's a real person behind it. Obviously, there's a real person behind it. What do you think? <laughs> there's always someone behind the bot and he can always respond and tell you he's real and message you back and say, hey, why are you blocking my account? I happen to have 500 of these, but who cares? So- yeah, a bot is every additional account that you don't actually need. <laughs> like, yeah, there should yes, be. What exactly. Molly, if and mass accounts, yeah, Molly, if mm-hmm. what Vinny's describing is true, and Twitter allowed the bot problem and Facebook and Google. Well, Facebook, anybody who's selling no, 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 no. Ads. Facebook has done a really much different level of job because of the real name policy. So, 
I think yeah. it's much different, right? It may be a yeah, lower number, but Facebook much every different. single year has had some uh, report come out to advertisers that was like, hey, we dramatically overcounted the number of accounts and users and views. And, you know, I mean, everybody yeah, sure. is, yeah, everybody I mean, who sells digital advertising on a big social media platform is benefiting from this, including Twitter. Well, I yeah. mean, one of the things that Twitter I've just seen makes is, it easier to yeah. create more, like maybe their volume, not yeah. as a percentage, but as, well, you know, to, to the actual number over, of accounts created by Twitter has we're, a we're Twitter has a lower bar because they you can go and comment right. on everyone else's feeds and whatever else. So so it's easier to generate fake content or amplify, you know, fake opinions on Twitter. Facebook, I have to be a friend of Jason's to see his feed and jump right. in there, right? So so Twitter is an open platform and, and, and Facebook's closed. So, so the amount of bot fraud and spam they're going to get there is very, very different to, to Twitter. And yeah. when, the, when we, like when I try talking to these Twitter execs, they refuse to do this. They don't, we don't want identity. We don't want, we want to give mm -hmm. people their privacy. Like they, they, they convince themselves that privacy and anonymity is, is the same thing. It's, ah. it's not, it's not the same thing. You can, people have a, Jason can have his own private Twitter account and he can have 20 bot accounts, but the algorithm could, then, if it knew that Jason owns all these accounts, it could then not be gained. Because what happens is when, when they want to amplify a, a certain tweet, they have like 25, 30 responses on it and it starts rising up in the rankings. Oh, there's a lot of activity on this tweet. People are right. talking about this. This is a big deal. And, and, but it's the same guy. He's just typing multiple messages. And yeah. what Twitter's argument is, when we message those each of those 30 accounts, someone responds to us. I'm like, no. Yep. <laughs> All right. And everybody. it looks like activity and they love it. Like, look, they have yeah. benefited from it from years and, you know, bad actors on the platform have used it yeah. for brigading and harassment and political campaigning for years and Twitter ignored it. And now they have exactly. a problem. And I don't, I'm sorry. I don't feel bad for anybody. And I, it's, here's it's, the thing. It's, it's solvable. It's solvable. You just do like that's what we're doing. Yes. Yeah. It's, so yeah, it's, simply to me, we, it's, it's the face map, right? If we just do a face map, you don't have to store the image of the person. You don't have to store the video. You don't have to store anything. You just link every single Twitter account to a real face. And there's no privacy concerns or issues. You don't know the identity of the person. But if you see that face maps being used on 50 different accounts, mm. it gives you, a, it's a lot easier to filter it out. A face map's a great idea. I mean, this is just when we use face ID and you you roll your head around like you're rolling your neck. Exactly. Exactly. It's really hard to fake that is what you're saying. So they could do That's that exactly without it. you having to release your photo. It would just be done in your settings. It, it wouldn't be a public Well, thing. no. Uh, you, I mean, there's ways of doing it. You'd probably just have to use like some sort of SDK in Twitter or use a third-party mm -hmm. decentralized identity provider like Civic to do it. It could be done. But my point yes. is there's no willingness to do it right now. They don't want to solve the problem because then they have to go back to the street and report that, oh, we actually only have 50 million unique users, not the hundreds of millions we say we have. And that's the issue. I, here's, under, I have a counter view on this. If, if they actually had the real number and the real number was dramatically lower, then it would be like this huge opportunity. We only have this amount of penetration. Look at how yes, many we can add yes, in the future yes, if we exactly. get this right. So there's exactly. a there's a crucible moment for this company to use Roloff's term at Sequoia. And the crucible moment is admit the reality of the situation and then explain the opportunity. If we get rid of Absolutely. these bots, then more people will want to participate because a lot of people are not participating because of brigading, because of these vile conversations that go off the rails. And you, you see in the advertising, every time we advertise on Facebook or Instagram or Google search, or uh, you advertise on um, Twitter, what you'll see is Google search is like, you know, the the most crisp in terms of like people typed in a word and went to your page. 
And then, you know, Facebook and Instagram come next. And then a distant third in terms of click through rate and your actual cost for the uh, acquisition of customers and the ability for this to actually move the needle is Twitter. And it's a distant, distant, you know, uh, fifth or sixth, I think, in terms of advertising. It's just really pathetic the the returns you get on Twitter. So, all right, Vinny, you're awesome. We'll have you on you're again. Awesome. Thanks this for your great. Thank, and you're not thanks, the whale. Guys. You're not the crypto no, whale. No, 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 it's on me. There's <laughs> a lot of speculation that you put a hundred million in Solana. Uh, in there. I was like, uh, just uh, as a semi serious question, is there any chance that Vinny is the whale? <laughs> no. So 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 I would never. I would Who's never the put whale? more than like. I, I would never borrow more than like one or two percent of my assets against any crypto. Well, what a flex and, there! And, and, uh, <laughs> and so at a hundred, I know. Quick back in the envelope. Million, do the math. No, not quite. So it's, not, it's not me. Close, but Got not me. <laughs> we believe you. We believe you. <laughs> Look at Vinny. Close. <laughs> 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 three times <laughs> Vinny. <laughs> three times <laughs> Vinny for I'm a to- moment. I'm totally, I'm totally joking. I'm totally, no, it's not me. Uh, uh, back, to two really, back to two Back to two I really want to compare notes on our. Um, Who do we think it on is? On our projects too. On our NFT art project. You should guys should I, I get some. Pro- I, I could probably guess who it is. I could probably put together a short list. <gasps> who the whale but, is? But, yeah, but I. Okay, I wait a second. And the stream. Publicly. Well, before we, but we won't go there, but in terms of profiling the person, they would have to have been very early to Solana to have probably. that big of a position in all likelihood. Um, this is probably only a portion of their Solana. They, so they probably have, you would guess, if they put 5 million into this thing, which is speculative, they probably would have 10 times that amount of Solana. Five times <laughs> at least. I, I, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I, I don't think, oh, you that, think somebody I, I might want to clear the whole position. Well, it, it could be someone like this is all my Solana. Maybe I'm gonna uh, look. I, I want to speculate too much, but I think it's it's someone who's at least I'm hoping responsible. But um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I think they're, they're moving the, moving the funds around. But I think probably responsible and reasonably illiquid because you know at, mm-hmm. at these levels they would have paid down the stuff not to get liquidated. So there's probably a liquidity mm-hmm. issue there. So mm-hmm. there's probably a, there's probably a short list of people it could be. I can almost guarantee you that the Sol Len guys know who it is because it's, you know, mm. like they have to. You're right, not going yeah. to take ninety percent of your of, of, of a book on a platform you don't trust, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yep. So they they mm-hmm. probably know. So that's the between privacy and anonymity. Privacy is that you know someone knows who you are. Anonymity is nobody knows. And I think this case it's just a privacy issue. Yeah, the interesting thing with this is anybody who was in that um, that venture fund uh, coin that you were GP in. The name of it is again, multi-coin. Multi-coin. <laughs> multi-coin yeah. decides when they distribute, so it can't be those folks in all likelihood because yeah. they're locked up. It's not, no, no, it's not multi-coin. It's not multi-coin. Yeah, it can't be because they're locked M- up. Multi-coin, so. mul- but multi-coin doesn't use leverage either. So, ah, we, we, you know, we, we, like so we, I mean, Tashar has been public about this. We don't like we don't do the stuff like three arrows and like we just we just don't do that. We we mm. we, we know better. <laughs> all right, everybody, follow Vinny Langham on uh, the Twitter. Great, great asset to the entrepreneurial community. We'll talk soon, Vinny. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. On. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye. Talk Bye. soon. Really great guest, huh, Molly? Smart. He's so good. He's Honest. so good. I mean, that was like really understandable. And I think we're all, it's interesting because the more we talk about it, I think we end up circling the same truth, which is yeah. like, there are parts of this that are really real. It's really early days. It's going to be a hot mess and a lot of people are going to get robbed, but there are some fundamentals that you can employ yeah. to do this the right way maybe i think Such the way you're it doing is, it you know? which is like dabble yeah learn dabble learn amounts. dabble learn it's the same thing i teach people in angel university or in the book 
like make the smallest bets possible as you're learning. Just like mm-hmm. in poker, if you want to learn to gamble, play at the smallest tournaments, the $20 buy-in tournament at your local casino card room. And if you blow through three buy-ins and you blow 60 bucks on a Sunday afternoon and get a free yeah. grilled cheese in the process, yeah, look you at it get like- a free it. grilled cheese? I'm going, I want to do that. Well, you know, and the, the place I used to play Hollywood Park was super degenerate, but I played at the big table, which was like a $500 buy-in minimum. We, we, yeah, which is kind of hilarious. Uh, but you know, you get all the free food you want. You just tip the waiters, and uh, they actually had some pretty Love good it. food there. They because it was such a um, Asian um, uh, base of users. They had a Korean food section, a Vietnamese section, a Chinese section. It was awesome. So That's you could awesome. get like pho, or you can get like galbi, or you could get. Just, I would just get a grilled cheese on sourdough with two different cheeses. I don't know if you've done that move, but that's the J-Cal special. The grilled you know, cheese uh, on sourdough, for sure. Grilled cheese on sourdough, but you go a slice of Swiss and two slices of cheddar. Boom. Mm. Just delightful. Amazing. Um, Amazing. All that good stuff. All right, listen, tomorrow on the show, Molly, you may have seen this uh, over the last couple of days, BuzzFeed, which has some great reporting, as you often correct me when I say they're about listicles. <laughs> uh, they did some really intense reporting on TikTok. And the idea that I have said over and over again, you cannot trust uh, that TikTok is not sharing information back with the Chinese Communist Party, but maybe you can preview it for folks. Uh, for yeah, definitely. Show. There were some, um, and and I, I will be honest, I have some questions about the reporting. Okay. I'm excited to talk about this. So we have a story that uh, uh, detailed some leaked audio from within TikTok about the attempts of the US team to try to make sure that data was not being accessed in China and some of the concerns uh, that it is. And of course, times when that data has been shared. And, and, you know, that's been, of course, the big question about TikTok is like, they say that all the data on US users is stored in the US, but is that credible at all? And it's, it sounds like during attempts to really crack down on TikTok, and maybe uh, President, former President Trump's attempts to ban it, that that really kicked up some serious internal efforts to make sure or at least figure out if that data was being shared. It's a really interesting story. The author of that story is Emily Baker White. And then of course, there have been lots of reports from the New York Times this week too about all the ways that China spies on its own citizens. And ideally, and if you want to join us in the world too. live, <laughs> youtube.com slash this weekend, we're live every day, 10am PT Pacific time. And uh, we have reporters b- jump in or experts jump in for the live stream. The live streams get, get you about 25% more content than the podcast because mm-hmm. we do a little bantering, Molly and I. Uh, but this is a really important story. And dare I say a victory lap for me. My position has been very clear. You know, like this is uh, an issue of reciprocity. And it's very just straight up too dangerous for a communist country to have this level, this level of insight into our citizens and uh, these 80 internal TikTok meetings were recorded by somebody and uh, you you have questions about the reporting so do i molly this seems to me like a heroic effort by somebody and i think it's a developer because developers are incredibly principled and uh in my experience um whether they're pr- whether you agree with their principles or not they tend to be incredibly principled and thoughtful people and uh i think this is a developer who has grave concerns and that's mm-hmm. why this was leaked and i'm telling you if um uh, Emily has this at BuzzFeed. You know who else has it? CIA, FBI. Th- this is going down. This story is underreported, and we're going to do a deep dive tomorrow on This Week in Startups on Wednesday. So join us tomorrow, everybody. It's going to be great. See you there. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.